We're going to continue our sermon series on evangelism. We are, we are blessed to be a part of this. We're blessed to be part of the calling that God has given us. We're going to be using Slack throughout our service today. And uh, one of the funs of having communion is it takes a little bit longer to get everybody back in um, for the sermon. So I'm just going to fill a little bit of time here. Um, I have been away for a week. I went to camp, and I was mentioning I was in church services all the time, and wow, it is good to get preached at by good preachers. Sorry, guys. Um, so it was, uh, it's, it's this wonderful time, and God is, uh, God is continuing to work. And, uh, you know, I want to give just a little update because I have a couple moments, and you guys are, are here um, in terms of what's coming with this building, we are still, I have, I, I've had a lease in hand, and it was a good lease, and I was like, okay, this is, this is the lease, and then there were like a couple of areas on the lease that the document doesn't agree with itself, and I was like, oops, that's an editing thing, so that's where we are. We are in editing now. We, there are no more big things. It's just waiting for the final lease to come in, and hopefully it comes in uh, this week. And if it doesn't, well, then we keep on saving money because we don't pay anything until we have a lease. So uh, let's not have a lease till September, guys. Let's go. No, I'm kidding. Um, it would be good to do that. And, uh, and God is good. He is faithful, and uh, there, it is finished. Um, that is, that, that's some of what God has been doing. It's really fun. And uh, yeah, so we're going to step into our next sermon series. And it's another one on evangelism. It's, it's part two of our evangelism series. And I, I really believe, like, it's not very often that I'll do sermon series, sermon series that are the same thing and then just keep on going. So 10 weeks of a year devoted to evangelism is a significant investment of time and energy. And the reason that that is is because evangelism is at the heart of God. God wants his people to open their mouths and speak his truth. Someone said this week, someone said, God, if God spoke the, word into, the world into existence, it is only logical that God would partner with us and speak life into people that are spiritually lost and dead. That, that we would partner in that creation piece of speaking words of life. And that's what evangelism is. The proclamation of the good news of Jesus. We speak life into people. And I couldn't be more excited. And that's why we're spending 10 whole weeks on evangelism. We've talked about talk tracks and scripture verses that lead people to Jesus. We've shown statistics that say, that, uh, that talk about the practice of evangelism. We talked about a pressure to close the deal in evangelism, how that's not the purpose, that it's actually just about the proclamation and not the person's response, although there's always a time for response. Yet, we still need to look at the foundation of what makes evangelism different um, and, and what makes it good. So I'm going to use a couple of verses, and I'm going to read this one, then we're going to pray. John 9, 1 to 7. One of the strangest verses in scriptures. As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, 
this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day, because night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and he made mud with the saliva and he anointed the man's eyes with mud and he said, go, wash in the pool of Siloam? Anyways, um, which means sent. There you go. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing. He went and he washed and he came back seeing. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are involved in teaching us, involved in shaping us, involved in empowering us, involved in opening our minds and our understandings. And so, Jesus, today as we walk through a little bit more of a technical sermon, God, I pray that we would, that we would be aware, that we would be open, that we would learn, and that you would do your work in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to get back to the blind man in a minute, but here's a question that I want to start off with, and it's a question that we might get wrong sometimes, and it comes from Acts 16, 30 to 31. It says, then he, brought them, then he brought them out, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved, you and your whole household. All right. Are you okay with getting the first question wrong on Slack? Let's see. Let's see if anybody gets it wrong. Let's see who gets it right. Whatever. We will see what happens here. Um, But I don't know that we can answer this question easily. I don't know that it's really crystal clear what the answer to this is. So here's the question for us. What are Christians saved from? You and your whole family will be saved. Great. Sounds good. What are we saved from? What are we saved from? Let let me know in Slack. That's a a hard... It shouldn't catch us flat-footed. We should just know this, right? We feel like we should know it, but then how do you say it? What are we talking about? What are we saved from? I'd love to hear what you guys are saying. I want to affirm a few things. The Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says in sin I was conceived. The Bible says in wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I believe in the eternal punishment, that hell is a real place. I believe that God's sovereign judgment and all his people will give an account for their actions. These are truths that I believe. What are we saved from? How do we say this? What are we, cool, right? How do we do this? Today we're going to dive into some, this strange scripture that I just read from John 1.9. And we're going, to be, we're going to be looking at what we're saved from. Because in here, we start to understand the good news. When you know what you're saved from, it's good. All right, so let's review. Where do we go? Are we saved from? Uh, we're saved from death. Eternal separation from God. The question is, what are we saved to? Excellent. Shame, hell, condemnation, fear, eternity without God, hell, saved from what we deserve, saved from being separated from from God, 
um, for our sins, saved from the bondage of sin. We're no longer separated from God. We're saved from eternal death, meaningless life. We're saved from the horrible, selfish kingdom of me brought me into the kingdom of Christ. We're saved from our nature, from ourselves. Uh, we're saved from helplessness, a purposeless life, a torment of living without God and his works, saved from ourselves. Man, saved from hopelessness, from destruction. Oh, man, so good, so good. All these things are, 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 are true. They're, they're definitely parts of it. Slave from, uh, slave to, enslavement to sin and meaninglessness. Um, chat GBT is chiming in. That's terrible. Uh, we're saved from the consequences of sin, says the computer. Interesting. Interesting. So many of us are, are, are getting close to, to what it is that we're saved from, and, and these are all valid expressions of what we're saved from. It's interesting that this is, this is what's going on. We want, to, we, want to see, we want to see people come to Christ. We want to see them saved. And we've got all these little different iterations. And, and they're all helpful. None of these are super wrong. But they're things that we're like, hey, interesting. They work with our cultural assumptions. Let's go back to our passage. As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples used the cultural assumptions and said, and said, Rabbi, who sinned? See, sickness comes from sin. According to the rabbi's cultural expression, oh, someone screwed up and sinned, and therefore the curse of blindness is upon them. That means your bad things that happen to you. That, theolo that theological construct says the bad things that happen to you are things that you deserve because you sinned. That's what the disciples are saying. Right here, the disciples are saying, these are things you deserve because you sinned. And, and so they're like, so who sinned? Was it this man, or was it his parents? Because he was born blind. He's born blind. So if he's born blind, when did he sin? So wait a second. So their, their, their own understanding is being challenged. Their basic understanding is saying, my sin makes me sick. If I'm sick, it's because I've sinned. There's still lots of the world that actually still live in this. My sin is what made me sick, and, and so born blind, born blind. And Jesus said it wasn't that this man sinned or his parents. Wait, what? It wasn't that this man sinned or his parents that made him blind. It was, why? That the work of God would be displayed. Well, okay, that's nice. But what is the work of God? Well, what was displayed? Healing. Healing was displayed. The work of God in this text is healing. So, so the work of God, a man is born blind, and the work of God is healing. 
He was born blind for the purpose of being healed. Wow. Okay. Why does that even matter? <laughs> See, how, what does this have to do with evangelism? Well, because oftentimes when we come at evangelism, we come at it with our lens. We come at it with our Christian-informed lens that says your suffering is 100% your sin. Okay, yes, wages of sin is death. Now, I'm going to parse out two different things, and I'm going to show you how sin is actually something we all do that we need to be forgiven. And it's actually part of a category that's larger. It's part of a larger category that we, that we are being saved from. See, I'm preaching not on my notes today. I apologize to my PowerPoint person. Your lived experience informs your perspective. I'm going to ask you a slack question here. Why do you think the disciples asked who sins? Why do you think the disciples asked who sins? Go for that in Slack. See, your lived experience informs your perspective. Church people read this and wonder why they are asking about whose sin caused blindness. Because we assume that everybody sins. We know that sin is not something that we are going to... Um, sin is not something that, we, that, that causes blindness. We don't link that anymore. We, we say blindness is a physical condition and we all have sinned. Otherwise, we would all be blind, right? So, but the disciples are asking, whose sin caused blindness? Secular people are reading it and find it confusing because it seems that these people don't have any compassion towards people with disabilities, right? Somebody's, somebody's born blind, and then the disciples are like, well, somebody sinned. We've got to find the blame. And so secular people are like, well, these people are barbaric because they can't diagnose the cause of blindness. So we think of, we, we think of uh, our modern solutions as the best way for the most full solutions. We think, often think that historic people don't really understand sickness, calling it a demon or linking it to sins. In the first century, they knew blindness. They knew blindness was a thing. They knew that, um, that it placed physical limitations, and they knew that they had to somehow keep these people going, and so they would give alms to the blind people. But first century search for understanding didn't stop at the medical diagnosis. The first century pushed further than we do. We are just like, oh, you're blind. Oh, you have, you have a disease. Oh, you've got diabetes. Oh, you have whatever. You see, the, the, uh, you see the coin. Flip a coin. Oh, I have depression. Anybody see that commercial? Flip a coin. Oh, I have um, post-traumatic stress disorder. And, uh, and, like, it's literally a commercial. I saw it on TV once when I was watching, um, just like a few months ago. So we think of it, and we end diagnosis. The first century church didn't end at physical diagnosis. They wanted an understanding of something larger. They wanted an understanding of something greater. What else is going on here? 
Oh, well, it must have been sin. We want to assign blame. So, why do you think the disciples asked who sins? The disciples saw sin as the cause, but Jesus used it as an example to talk about faith. Uh, the disciples wanted to blame. They wanted to blame somebody. People like to assign blame, cause and effect. They had a natural point of view, blaming, explaining, judging. It's the disciples' context from the Mosaic Law would have then been thinking that illness is a resulting of the person's sin. The law creates the connection between action and result. In their minds, only sin could have been the consequence. And Jesus says, no, it's for something else. The disciples are heavily influenced by the discussions of, of the day, the, the law. Why is Israel suffering under foreign oppression? Because of our sin. Why are people of Israel getting sick and dying? Because of our sin. Where is God among the evil we're experiencing? The Pharisees studied Scripture, and they've determined that it's Israel's sin. And the solution is quite simple. Stop sinning. Stop it. That's what the Pharisees would do. Every day they would just walk around. Stop it. Stop sinning. You sin, stop it. You sin, stop it. You, stop it. And that's, that's what they would do. And that was their role. That was their God-given role. You sin, stop it. Just stop. And, and this is what they did. But Jesus corrects this perspective by offering a larger one. It wasn't the man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God would be displayed in him. So did God do it? Did God make the boy blind? No. No. And this is the key that's going to change our expectation of evangelism. Evil and sin are not the exact same thing. Evil and sin are not the same thing. We conflate these two. We make them the same thing. But evil and sin are not the same thing. Sin is our participation with evil. Evil exists. Now we, we have to take a look at this. If we combine sin and evil, we say that evil came into the world through Adam and Eve. This isn't quite true. If we hold that evil enters the world through Adam and Eve, humanity is actually what's wrong with the world. Why would God be rescuing us? Humanity is not what's wrong with the world. Evil is different. Evil is something that that has entered into the world. How do I get that? Because in the garden, we have a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve are in a garden set for them. They have no knowledge and no experience of that which exists. The knowledge of good and evil. They have no experience with it. They did not know, yet it existed. And the, and the serpent, which was craftier than every other animal, came and became the first archetype, the first understanding of the impersonation or of the, of, 
evil itself, which we came to later understand as Satan. And our Christian understanding has so often warped and taken the enemy to become the human. You sinner, you are suffering because you sin. And yes, that's true, but there's a larger category that God is saving us from. God is saving us from the evil that is in this world, that is propagated by a person. The the person, Satan, who fell from heaven, was kicked out, has been working to kill, steal, and destroy ever since, who's been working to destroy human life, who's been working to accuse you of everything. The Bible says that he is the accuser of the brethren. He stands against you and against every human being, and he is perpetuating evil on his own as a source of evil, and he is enticing us to follow him and sin. Do you see that? Do you see how this makes a difference? Because I first need to establish the normal secular person's reality that the world is screwed up right now. It's screwed up. And we don't have a reason for it because Christians are so quick to be like, oh, well, it's the wages of sin. No, the world is screwed up. Plain and simple, the world is screwed up. And yes, we participate in it. You participate in it. As a Christian, you have participated in willingness to participate with evil. You have sinned. But the evil preexisted. It was there. And we are being saved and redeemed and purified from the evil that is in this world. Now, if you have been saved from evil by the work of the Spirit then for Pete's sake, stop sinning. Because guess what? Why would I, 1 John is all about this. If you want to get into this, 1 John, read 1 John. Why would I participate in the evil when that's the exact thing that God is trying to save me from? Am I of two minds? Why would I do that? So the gospel message is this. Jesus is saving the world from sin and evil. He's purifying it out of us. He's, he's, bring, he's drawing it from us. Guys, we have been polluted. I apologize. I haven't looked at my notes in five minutes. He is... He is purifying us. He is drawing us out of... We call this sanctification, church. This is sanctification that God is drawing out of the very core of our person, the participation with the evil that is destroying our planet, that's destroying our social constructs, that's destroying our our economies, that's destroying our world. He is pulling us out of it. He is saving us from it. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You will be saved. My God is powerful enough. 
My God is powerful enough. I'm going to pull out my, my watch because I killed the, uh, the time. My God is powerful enough to save anyone from any evil that they have experienced. My God is powerful enough to purify me from the reactions to evil that are around me. Guys, have you ever been in a situation where you feel that there is no holy response? It's not true. It's a little bit of a myth, but you feel like it. You feel like, you feel like well, if I do that, it's wrong, and if I do that, it's wrong, and if I do that, it's wrong, and if I do that, it's wrong. I have to do the lesser of one of these evils. There are people whose lives situations, that is what it is, where they're just like, I have no hope. I can respond to protect myself from this terrible situation by involving myself in this evil. I can respond by, isn't that what it is to be in no hope? Isn't that what it is to be in a space where there is no hope? To be able to have no right response? Everything you do contributes to the problem. Guys, there are people in your neighborhoods that are looking for hope. That they want to be able to say, I've done something right. And the right that we need to do is repent from our participation in evil, which is sin. Repent of our sins. It's our participation with evil. Accept Jesus Christ as our Lord. And from there, we will be built up. We will be built up. Why was this man born blind, Jesus? So that the work of God could be seen. The work of God is the taking out the evil. Blindness is part of evil. The sicknesses that we have are expressions of evil. God's purifying it out. He's purifying it. That's why healing is so core inside Christian doctrine. Fighting against the evil. That's why resurrection is vital in Christian doctrine because death is one of the greatest points of evil that we experience. That's why the hope of Jesus who said, I have overcome the world is a worthwhile belief because Jesus showed he could do it. He overcame death. So instead of coming at evangelism as a point of blame, one of the most common questions I hear is if God was so good, why wouldn't he just remove the evil right now? Let me answer that question for you. Because if God removed all the evil, the evil inside of you right now, you wouldn't survive. You'd be dead. God loves you so much that he's not putting that type of judgment on you right now. Today is a day of grace. Turn from your participation with evil, from your sin. Turn to Jesus, and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that's just the first sign. When Jesus returns, he purifies the entire world of all unrighteousness. That the whole world is now restored that there is no more blindness, that there is no more diabetes, that there is no more economic injustice. The whole world is reformed. 
dang, that's good news. Why isn't he doing it now? Because he wants to purify you of the evil that he's removing first. Let's let God purify us. Let's let God change our hearts. Let's let God bring healing from the evil that we've experienced. Let's let God restore in us the truth. And let's tell our neighbors that they have an opportunity to participate in such a great journey as seeing the world made completely right. That evil is rooted out of the world and it's rooted out of me. One day. One day it's finalized. But today, I take another step. By following obediently the word of the Holy Spirit, the word of God in my life. Every gospel message must have a response, and today the response is this. What is the Holy Spirit working in your life? What evil, what participation with, with evil, what sin is he rooting out in your life, what place is he bringing and making things right, how do you align yourself with God today, what is he asking of you? If our congregation could just close their, their eyes and pray with me. Jesus, we are a people that you are working on. You are drawing out the evil and the willful participation with it. You're drawing it out of us, and sometimes we like to resist or we try to hope that you don't acknowledge and you don't see that corner. Oh, look, look, I'm good over here. I'm good over here. Look, God, at all the good things I'm doing. Don't look here, God. God, I pray that you would look there. God, that you would continue your purifying work in us. For those of us in the room that have never yet believed in the Lord Jesus Christ to receive salvation from the evil that is both outside and inside, Jesus, I pray that they would look to you now for the first time and they would say, Jesus, purify me of evil. Make things right. Come live with me. And God, I pray that you would do that in their life, that you would show them one thing, the first thing, the first step of obedience would be this. Let that be in their mind right now, that the first step of obedience, for those of us who've been walking with you for a long time, Jesus, I pray that, that you would reveal to us the next step of obedience. Maybe it's something that you've been telling us to do that we have been resisting, that we haven't been stepping into. Maybe there's a place where some of us in this room, Jesus, I know this is true, where some of us in this room have, have been asked to do something by you and we're not stepping into it. Jesus, I pray that we would take the step of obedience and step into it so that we can continue to be purified of evil. And Jesus, I pray that you would be glorified in this church. In Jesus' name. Amen. I apologize for not being on Slack today. That was a very technical message, and then I just closed my stuff, so I wasn't on Slack today. I am going to look through Slack and respond. If God is working on something in your heart where you're like, this is what I need to do right now, do not miss it. Just because service is over, do not miss it. You make sure that you take care of that business with God. God bless you. Promise Church, we will see you next week.